Ed. Welcome to the Pandemic Puppy Podcast, brought to you by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm super excited to be here with you. We're covering puppy raising right from the start, and although I'm a professional dog trainer, this is my first time raising a puppy, too. So I'm right in the trenches with you guys on the good, the bad, the cute, and the stinky. Today, we're talking to Ayoga Bubar, who offers training services online and in person in southwestern Manitoba. She writes for the Rotten Dog blog, um, or she writes the Rotten Dog blog, which is full of practical training advice and musings. Ayoka and I are here talking about nipping and biting, which is a super common problem for a lot of puppy owners, and we're here to help. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Kayla. I didn't know this was your first puppy. That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've fostered yeah. a couple before yeah. now, but this is my first. Um, that's mine. It's very different when it's your own. So, sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, the, uh, the helicopter parenting and worrying is on a whole different level. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, Ayoka, you are a certified professional dog trainer, knowledge assessed, and you're an approved Canadian Association of Rally Obedience Judge for all levels. Um, you've got just so much knowledge and so much stuff that we're excited to share with um, our listeners. Um, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your two dogs and what you enjoy doing with them? Sure. Um, I live with two Rottweilers. Um, I have a seven and a half year old girl, Epic, and I also have her daughter, Saga. Um, Mostly what we have been focusing on over the last few years has been herding. That's sort of, you know, rally obedience is my first love, but I always say herding might be my true love. I really love that (laughs) sport. Um, And we do trick dog titling and we do, you know, hiking and we're, we're in a great place in, um, in the center of Canada, Manitoba, where there's lots of great places for hiking. Um, but that's really what we, we keep ourselves busy doing is, you know, between herding and rally, that's, um, it's almost a full-time job. Yeah, I can imagine. I, um, and it's actually, it's, I love, uh, listening to you talk about your herding with your Rotties and all of that. And actually my first experience ever with a herding dog was with a Rotty. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, now that yeah, now that I have border collies, it feels uh, so long ago. But yeah, I lived in Panama for a while in high school, and we had a Rottweiler there who helped, was kind of a general farm stock dog who helped move the cattle from one uh, one pasture to another. Oh, perfect! That's that's um, the Rottweiler's original job. So it's so cool that they had one doing that work. Yeah, yeah, and he was awesome, uh, Rocky. <laughs> That's an awesome name. Um, for, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was great. Um, I'm, I hopefully he still is. Um, he'd be, he'll be an old man by now. Um, all right, so before we uh, dive right into this, I do have to remind everyone at home that the podcast is supported by our members on Patreon. So for as little as three bucks a month, you can support this podcast and get perks like submitting questions for us to tackle at the end of each episode. Make sure you sign up over at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. All right, so let's kind of cut right to the chase. Why do you think or why is nipping such a common problem for puppy owners, puppy raisers? Why do we all have to deal with this? Um, You know, I tell people, um, you know, the way babies put everything in their mouths, puppies bite. It's developmentally appropriate behavior for dogs. Mm -hmm. So we all struggle with it to one degree, you know, maybe a lesser degree or a greater degree. Um, In my own two dogs, you know, one I could count on my hand the number of times she bit as a puppy. The other one, 
I couldn't count at all because there's so so many times but I think it's it's developmentally appropriate there is a genetic component especially when we talk about breeds and um, dogs as individuals and it's also situational I think it's related to um, you know just young babies learning to sort themselves out in the human world so there could be some frustration and those kinds of things so I think you know those three things coming together are probably almost always in play when we're living and working with puppies. Yeah, that sounds absolutely right. And I'm glad that you mentioned um, that it does vary so much from breed to breed and even individual to individual within the breed. Um, I know I was just talking to Sarah Strumming and I just recorded a podcast uh, about crating and she said that her new Icelandic sheepdog puppy is by far the bitiest puppy she's had. Oh, that's you know, she's fascinating. A lot of border collies. That's fascinating. I love Sarah and um, I love her crating, her crating, um, I don't know if you would call it system approach. Uh, such uh, that's going to be a great podcast for your listeners. Yeah, she has such a great common sense approach. I'm I'm really looking forward yeah. to it. Um, it's yeah. I think it's just important to know that just because you know your last puppy didn't do it to this degree, or you know this puppy is perfect, doesn't mean that. Uh, your approach has been perfect or that your approach is totally flawed it varies so much from dog to dog so much we have to kind of take each dog that comes to us as an individual yeah and have you noticed as well or with yourself or with your clients um you know that it can also kind of come and go in waves or is related to teething at all um i i I find it's in waves, but I find the waves more, I, I would call it short waves, waves throughout the day, not so much waves throughout developmental um, mm, periods. Mm -hmm. And I find, you know, with my own dogs, when they were going through teething periods, they were less bitey maybe, but more chewy, if that makes sense. Um, they were more inclined mm. to yeah. chew and destroy than they were maybe to um, bite hands and pant legs and that kind of thing. And I think maybe just because of the type of pain they experience when they're teething, that grabbing fast moving things isn't necessarily um, relieving some of that pain that they have. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I've noticed my puppy is currently 16 and a half weeks old. Um, and over the last couple weeks, uh, especially early in the mornings or late at night, he, he really wants to put my finger all the way back in um, to his like molar gums and like really gum it hard. Yeah. Um, but he's not biting hard. Um, and he's really like intentionally trying to put things on, on his gums. Yeah. Um, and I've been kind of allowing it. Well, yeah, he's so, <laughs> because I, mean, I don't really mind it. If he's, he's probably yeah. sore, you know, I, you, you open their mouths sometimes when they're puppies and their gums are just red and inflamed and you can only imagine how sore they must be. So anything that gives them some relief is, is a good thing. Yeah. So you mentioned that you kind of, uh, and I, I think I've noticed something similar where, yeah, it comes and goes in waves throughout the day. Um, what, uh, what patterns have you noticed there? Or what, what do you think that people um, at home who are struggling with this can, uh, can, can learn from their puppy's schedule and how to manage nipping uh, better? Um, what I find is if if puppies actually have a schedule of rest and play and in time and out time and potty time that the nipping seems to be more manageable so in my experience um mm -hmm. you know when maybe you've been at work all day or for the morning and you come home at lunch um you're ready to maybe just have a break and um 
your puppy has been waiting in his crate for you to come home <laughs> all morning. You know, he's kind of ready. <laughs> or even at the end of the day, say a Friday night, you're ready for a break. Puppy's just ready to go. Um, those kind of, of, you know, scheduling issues. I always found the evenings more difficult. And I think um, I had a pretty good schedule for puppies, but by about nine o'clock, um, Saga, especially, you know, she would annoy Epic, who's her mother. So they spent, you know, they spent quite a bit of time together. You know, by the time Epic would roar at her and then she'd come and try and engage with me and bite so hard that I would maybe yell just in pure reaction, not even in trying to quote unquote teach her anything. Mm -hmm. Um, that was always my cue that, you know what, she was kind of like the five-year-old toddler at Walmart at 5 p.m., you know, just done with the day, overtired, needing some rest. So my my little formula, and I also did, um, I used to own and operate a dog daycare, and I did puppy camps for puppies only. And what I found is um, mm -hmm. it... About 45 minutes is a good stretch of time for a puppy to be out. And then the biting starts to escalate after that. If you have a bitey puppy and that's a good time for them to go and have a nap. Mm -hmm. So we work in 45 minute sessions, let them sleep till they're, they're awake, let them back out, give them another 45 minute session. So I, I really find when they get really bitey is usually a sign that they're just really overtired and we can prevent that by having those scheduled sleep and rest cycles mm -hmm. throughout the day. Yeah, I love that. And I love how um, listeners of this podcast will will notice that these are things that we've already talked about in other episodes for other reasons. Um, we had an entire episode with Sarah Dixon about scheduling for your puppy oh, and how to one. use your, your daily routine <laughs> to prevent problems. Cool. It's not it's not live yet oh, okay. at the time that you and I are recording. Okay. Um, it'll it'll yeah um it goes live before this one perfect <laughs> so you haven't missed it yet <laughs> um but uh yeah i love how full circle these things are coming and that comes to you know i think we're skipping ahead a little bit in our um in our questions but you know i think it's so hard especially for first-time owners or for owners who maybe have switched breeds or breed groups um you know, when they see this puppy who's running laps and putting everything in his mouth and then jumping up and boinking you in the face and then grabbing your nephew by the by the sleeve and trying to tug him around, you know, they look at that and they think, oh my gosh, this puppy has so much energy, we need to give him more exercise. And if the puppy is actually overly tired, that can escalate the problem. Do you have, you know, aside from just knowing your puppy's schedule and what they've been up to for the past couple hours, do you have any tips for kind of knowing how to tell the difference between like, oh, this is, you know, Saga is a working Rottweiler puppy. She needs a lot of outlets versus like, okay, no, we, this, it's nap time and that's our um, problem. What I notice is, you know, what is her behavior when I let her out of her crate? We go potty and she's she's still active. She's engaging in things. And what is her behavior? You know, I would almost say, you know, there's a, <laughs> a downward slide sometimes to things that are just too much for me to handle. I also use my own. Um, my own feelings and frustration as a barometer too, because, you know, I've probably worked with mm -hmm. hundreds of puppies. And if my own puppy is getting to a point that I'm a little bit annoyed, um, 
that's probably a sign that she needs a break. And my adult human brain, who's used to adult dogs, hasn't sort of kicked in, oh, yeah, this isn't an adult dog who can hang out with me in my office for the afternoon. She needs a break. She needs some interaction. Um, I need to help her learn how to control herself a little bit better um, and give her a bit of a hand or, or something to do. Uh, I, was just, I, I love that you also mention, you know, your own feeling or your own irritation as part of it, you know, whether that's, um, you know, a, a, it's a good gut check for us to kind of remind ourselves that like, okay, if I'm getting annoyed, there's, um, there's probably something that we need to be doing here. And I also have been really thinking a lot lately about, you know, giving myself the, the grace to say, if the puppy is annoying me, even if the puppy still has energy, it's okay for me to kind of take care of myself and just put the puppy away. Because I find in the evenings in particular, if I just kind of try to ignore him and try to take the high road, but I'm also not doing anything to actively engage him or train him or put him away, at some point, either myself or my seven-year-old border collie gets pissed at the puppy. Um, and then no one's happy. Like, no one learned anything useful from that interaction. We all feel bad. Um, and it's just, I love that you mentioned that it's better to kind of proactively just put them away if you're starting to get irritated, um, even if you're not sure whether they want to be put away or not yet. Yeah, and that's where your scheduling comes in. If you know that you're going to be working all day Wednesday or, you know, all day Wednesday or have a tough Wednesday afternoon, you know, you just kind of need to plan for, I know this puppy is going to be, you know, potentially <laughs> driving me crazy because I've had a long, hard day. What do I need to put in place to make it so that we're both happy and I'm not frustrated because, you know, they're only little baby puppies for a very short period of time. And you do want to spend as much time enjoying that period because they're just, they're fascinating and wonderful. Um, that if you can plan ahead a little bit, mm -hmm. um, you can absolutely avoid that, but you're, you're always going to get into those situations where you just, you can't take one more bite to the pant leg. Um, and yeah, puppy in a crate with, you know, a Kong or a Chewy is, it's like, I call that the emergency plan. And I have emergency bones, if you will, at my house, <laughs> even with adult dogs, I have the, uh, you know, you know, I stuff my Kongs, but I've got, you know, emergency stuff. So if I need a dog to be quiet for a couple hours, I got something I can give them. Yeah, yeah. And that actually that blends us really nicely into, um, you know, some of our, our main strategies that we wanted to talk about. So we've already mentioned, um, you know, confinement. So putting the puppy away in their puppy pen or their crate. Um, we've been talking a little bit about pacifiers. So, you know, Kongs or bully sticks. Um, and I think we've talked about sleep that a lot of times our puppies need naps the last um of the main four strategies that i had jotted down was toy play um do you have any thoughts on you know i, I think sometimes nipping is a little bit different from actually tugging or toy play but i um i think that toy play and toy skills can help get that outlet out for your puppy and teach them more appropriate skills. So do you have any thoughts on that? I do, but I want to go back to sleep, if you don't mind, for just a second. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Adult dogs. Um, so I don't know if you've read the book Stress and Dogs. Not yet. Okay. No. It was released. It's available through Dogwise. It's actually a, I think it's somebody's master's thesis. Um, it's translated from German. And they did some research on what in a dog's life led to them um, showing what we would call stress behaviors in the home. 
like what things in the dog's life. And one of the things that they noted um, in that is that dogs that did not get at least, at least, listen to this, 17 hours of rest exhibited more stress behaviors in their day-to-day -day life. And those were adult dogs. So oh we know that babies and infants and toddlers need more sleep than adult dogs do. And I think sometimes um, we really forget that sleep component. Um, and, you know, we think the puppy should be out. You know, we talked about, you know, they're, they're wild in the evening and we think they need all this stimulation. And I just, I really want people to know that it's okay if your puppy sleeps at least half the day or more when you're with them. They don't have to be out. They could be out for their 45 minutes, down for a nap. And I usually find naps can it go from 45 minutes to a couple hours um, and then back up and out again. So, mm -hmm. you know, I always say, you know, those growing brains and growing bodies need sleep um, to develop properly. So, um, you know, I, I think it's important that people don't feel guilty about confining or giving puppies a bit of a break throughout the day because they don't need to be out 24 7 with you yeah i'm so glad you mentioned that and i'll make sure to drop a link into the show notes for people for that book um but yeah 17 hours for an adult but yeah you think a lot of puppies don't sleep through the night for that full eight hours so you still have another 10 hours that you need to find a sleep time for them throughout the day yeah yeah so you know I, at least i don't want someone to go oh my god my dog needs to sleep for 17 hours and to sit there with their spreadsheet and check off each half hour that your puppy sleeps but <laughs> i do think that puppies need more sleep then we realize they do. Um, and I had um, yeah. my youngest puppy, she did not sleep on her own, meaning she did not just lie down and pass out on her own. The only way she slept was in her crate when I gave her what I called downtime um, throughout the day. Um, so I needed to create mm -hmm. that structure for her so that That's she would That's exactly sleep. what I was going to say next. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Be yeah, it is so hard for them for a lot of puppies to self-regulate and choose to sleep on their mm -hmm. own. That is a skill. And I think a lot of people, you know, they see that if their puppy has the option, their puppy isn't choosing to sleep. So they think that therefore they must not be tired exactly, or they must not need more sleep. Yeah. Um, and that's where our schedule comes in. Yeah. Right. Our schedule can help them learn um, to self-regulate yeah. because Saga absolutely now when she's tired, she lays down and she sleeps. Um, but that, that I think if I hadn't have had the schedule and the structure for her, that she may not have actually learned that skill um, without a, quite a bit of structure. Yeah, yeah, I know with Niffler, um, yeah, it's been quite a bit. And it, I think I literally took a video the first time he fell asleep outside of his pen where I was like, oh my God, it's working. <laughs> you know, he, he actually... He is capable of falling asleep outside of his pen because even as a professional trainer, I I had a couple weeks there where I was I was just kind of watching his behavior and being like, oh my god, am I ever going to be able to get this dog to sleep anywhere other than his crate? Because I don't really want to have to lug a crate everywhere yeah. whenever I want my dog to take a nap. Yeah, and I think um, if he did that, it 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 has come around. Yeah, if he's done that before sixteen weeks, you're golden. Because I don't think Saga slept outside of a crate, but until she was at least six months old, she's just a wild child. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, I, I count myself lucky. And yeah, so I, I think that's, I'm glad you said that as well. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, my puppy is seven months old and they, I can't even imagine them sleeping outside of their crate. That's okay. <laughs> um, we'll work, we'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah. And the sleep, that's not, that's not the sleep is incredibly abnormal. No. And the sleep is so important. So if, if that's how they get their sleep, then in my opinion, you know, even if they're two years old, that's, that's an acceptable way to structure things for your dog. If that's what your dog, uh, needs and they're all different. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Okay. So yeah, let's circle back a little bit to toy play. Um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, how or if or when to use that for, um, for nipping and, you know, I, I think sometimes it's, it's given as kind of this blanket advice of like, oh, your puppy's biting you, shove a, cho- a toy in their face. Um, and that will fix it. And I think that advice is well-meaning, but that I imagine we've got some tweaks that we'd like to make given that we have the time. Yes, absolutely. Um, the... Th- So we talked about knowing when your puppy is sort of over the top wild kind of, you know, hyperactivity mode, maybe at the end of the day. So if you have a puppy that sort of um, comes out of the crate, biting at your pant legs, um, I think this is the kind of puppy and the time, (laughs) speaking of sad puppies. um, Yeah. If you have a kind of puppy that sort of has had their rest, comes out of their crate, grabbing at your pant legs, um, that situation and that puppy, I would say, is looking to interact with you. Um, And the only way they really have, they don't have hands, they don't have words to say, hey, I'd really like to play or do something with you. Um, That's the puppy that I would use toy play with. You know, so I would stop walking Mm -hmm. I pull out and I'm not joking. I've done this. You know, I've had, you know, a tug toy stuck in the waistband of my pants, my yoga pants or in the pocket of my jeans 24 (laughs) seven. So that I stop walking and then this toy becomes really exciting. And then we get to play a more cooperative game of tug or fetch or something like that. So I think toy play in the right kind of situation can help relieve some of that frustration and give your dog something to do with you. Cause I think that's sort of their way of asking to play with you. That's how they'd ask to play with their litter mates when they're younger. Um, so that's where I really mm-hmm. like toy play. I don't necessarily know that toy play on its own decreases any of that behavior, but I think it's a great way to teach your dog a more appropriate um, way to interact with you. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. And I, I like that you made the point of making sure that that toy is really exciting, because I think sometimes we um, we make the mistake as trainers of not being clear enough that the toy actually has to be like actively better than your hands. Um, so if you just kind of like put a toy near your puppy and then whenever they go for your hands, you move your hands away and you make a sound, think about which thing is more exciting for your puppy to go after. Yeah. It's your hands. They move, they make noise. Um, you have to actively work to make that toy more interesting. Um, yeah. And it could be, and, and that will help. Um, the toy could be, you know, I tell people, it doesn't have you don't have to go you don't have to go to PetSmart and buy a hundred dollars worth of toys you could buy an end remnant of fleece 
braid it together, tie two knots in the end, and you've got a toy that can be more exciting to a young puppy that's looking to engage with you than maybe your pants. And I like fleece because I think it's softer on their mouths than some of the other commercially available toys that mm -hmm. we have for puppies, especially as they grow through teething. But I had, I don't know, I probably had a dozen of those <laughs> when Sucko was growing up that um, we would, you know, like, not the pants, here's your toy, and we play tug. And, you know, what's beautiful about that is um, now I have a dog that loves to play tug, um, which is, you know, a really helpful reinforcer mm -hmm. when you're teaching dog sports. Um, and I also have a dog that knows how to trade things, right? She left the pant leg, went for the tug. So she understands that concept of trade. Mm -hmm. So I've taught her some really important skills um, just by not being incredibly frustrated about her grabbing onto my pant legs and shredding all my pajama pants. Um, but by, you know, thinking of alternative ways <laughs> to play and engage with her in a way that she likes, because clearly she likes that kind of thing. Um, but just making it quote unquote legal um, for her to play that way. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I love your points of, yeah, toy play can be so beneficial for so many other skills. And, uh, you know, I know I love using it as a way to help teach a dog to kind of up and down regulate their, uh, their emotions or their mm -hmm. excitability and helping a dog kind of learn that like, yeah, you know, if my dog can learn to drop a toy that he was really excited about, and then listen to me when I ask him to sit, it might mean it, it helps him build the skill towards being able to not jump on the delivery man. Um, and it's it, it's all related and all is building on these skills that are yep. really important. So it looks like you're just playing with your puppy and just preventing biting, but you're doing so much more than that. Yep, absolutely. And, and I find, especially if you have toys to, you know, if you have toys around for your puppy, which um, I really love when you talked about, um, I just listened to the when you did about um shoot i can't remember what the last one was was just released but you talked about what was in oh preparing for your puppy um you talked about what was in your puppy's yeah. pen um if they have toys mm -hmm. around you, you may have a dog that instead of grabbing your pant leg starts bringing you a toy um and I found that eventually yeah. what happened is I had a dog that would start bringing me toys to play with. Or if she got a bit ramped, uh, ramped up and bitey, uh, we could go find a toy or I could ask her to go get a toy and then we could play. So um, I think toy play is really important, especially if you have I, what I would call a naturally bitey kind of dog. Um, you know, that that gives them an outlet for that without necessarily having to use a lot of punishment or shutting them down or, um, you know, using anything um, negative with them. And um, it's really important. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're going to take a quick break to hear a couple of ads, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about puppy nipping and um, wrap it up. So here we go. This podcast is supported by the Puppy Raising Blueprint course, which you can find at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. In this course, which is partnered between Journey Dog Training and Canine of Mine, I guide you through everything from common problem behaviors like biting and potty training to the humane hierarchy of dog training. It's always available on a self-study basis at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. As a new puppy owner, I know how often we're cleaning up. While there's no replacement for management, supervision, and training, Clean Carl's has my back for the times that I slip up and Diffler has an accident. Clean Carl's pet mess products get rid of stains and odors from dog poop and cat pee and everything in between without any added scents so your house won't smell like poop or cleaning products. 
Plus, they're safe to use around both pets and kids. Next time your furry friend has an accident, try Clean Carl's Pet Mess Zapper and Remover. Use the code JOURNEY10 and get 10% off your first order. Just head over to cleancarls.com and use code JOURNEY10 at checkout. All right, we are back. So we were just talking about toy play, and now I think I want to circle back into, um, you know, bite inhibition or kind of the concept of teaching dogs how to be a little bit more gentle with their mouths. Um, I know uh, this is one of those things that a lot of trainers have strong disagreements on, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I kind of... Well, here, here, here's... Here's my notes on it, and then we can discuss. I think I <laughs> okay. think that the biggest influence on bite inhibition in our dogs' lives is how long they spend with their mothers and siblings. Um, there certainly is research to show that dogs who stay with their mother and siblings past, um, I think the research is past six weeks, um, they show better... Um, bite inhibition, better emotional regulation than dogs that leave mom um, before that time. So I think, you know, um, if you're preparing for a puppy and the breeder says they're six weeks, they're ready, you know, they're eating dog food and they're ready to go home, um, I would say, you know, I really want this puppy, but I know that staying with mom and siblings is um, is beneficial. Can we come get the puppy in a couple of weeks? Um, I think that's the number one thing we can do. And people don't know that as, as you know, puppy buyers yeah. or adopters. I mean, there's always outstanding situations. Mom dies, puppies are orphaned, that kind of thing. But I think um, that we forget, you know, by, by not taking our puppies till they're around eight weeks, um, we can help ourselves and we can help them out. Um, so I really... I really feel that dogs are, are better teachers of bite inhibition than humans are. Um, so I'm a big <laughs> advocate of puppies being exposed to appropriate adult dogs. Um, not just any adult dog in the dog park. I'm not a big advocate of puppies in dog parks, but appropriate adult dogs do a good job mm -hmm. of teaching them. And I think as humans, I think we can teach our puppies how to manage their arousal and we've talked about some strategies for doing that but I don't I'm not really sure we teach bite inhibition as we just kind of work through it um, and and teach them those skills I know there's lots of people that say absolutely not there's nothing we can do you just wait it out and there's lots of people that um, might say the opposite what do you think Kayla yeah I think I think that lines up pretty closely with my my experience and my opinion on it I I think for for me, it seems like most dogs, as they age and play with other dogs, you know, they get there eventually. And I'm not entirely sure that there's a uh, there's anything that we are doing consistently as a species to help dogs um, not be bitey. When I see dogs that are continually you know, mouthy or bitey with, with humans into late teenagerhood, you know, uh, dogs that are a year and a half, two years old, and still doing a lot of mouthing, the, those dogs seem to be consistently under-exercised, really, really hyper-stimulated, and honestly, a lot of them were, um, were or, or are bully breeds, um, where they might have a genetic tendency towards that anyway. Um, 
So yeah, no, I, I agree. I and I know Amber Kwan in one of our um, earliest episodes talks about she took her dog Rue home a week or two before a couple of his siblings, mm-hmm. and when they met back up, she was able to see that even the even and I think they had all gone home at like ten to eleven weeks, yes. but the puppies that had gone home at eleven weeks actually had much much um, better play skills um, and were more appropriate with each other than Rue, even though it had only been a week's difference. Um, so I think that's that's an important point and. Not necessarily one that everyone has control over, um, but something to strive for. No, definitely. and we don't. And I think, you know, I think, I know you talked about, I actually did listen to the, you know, looking for a breeder uh, <laughs> podcast that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, I think looking for a breeder that keeps those puppies till at, at minimum seven weeks. And I know now, you know, eight to 12 weeks seems to be common depending on the breed. Um, and there's, mm-hmm. there's always individual reasons in between. Um, that as well but Mm -hmm. i just i feel like people maybe don't understand how much of an effect that can have um and um you know when i think about saga like i like she was so bitey like i just i you know i lost sleeves i lost pajama pants you know i've certainly bled enough um i didn't do a lot Mm -hmm. with her to um increase her bite inhibition but i did a lot with her to teach her how to manage, you know, her emotions and to self-regulate. And, you know, she can be out with my friend's four-year-old and she's not bitey at all. So I don't think, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a magical cure or a magical training um, trick or hack that there is for teaching um, <laughs> bite inhibition as much as I would love for there to be because it would relieve a lot of frustration yeah. for a lot of pet owners. Um, I think I think with the biting phase, I think what we do is we just sort of, we endure it and we, we have strategies to get through it. And most, as you said, most puppies come out on the other end, um, you know, with pretty decent bite inhibition. Um, you know, if they've, if they've had some, yeah. some decent genetics behind them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I think about the times where I have had an adult dog, you know, rip my sleeve or, um, you know, something like that, it's often the case that they just missed a tug, (laughs) you know, Um, or yeah, it's, I don't, I'm not entirely convinced that um, a lot of the adult biting we see is a cause or effect um or related to bite inhibition it's it i I agree it's mostly more kind of this emotional arousal or an honest mistake or aggression and i'm not sure that we and that's not really the point of this episode here but i i'm a little suspicious that working on bite inhibition would then translate over very effectively to a dog um that is behaving aggressively uh actually being helpful to reduce injury i don't i don't think so either i'd be i'd be skeptical of that claim yeah i i think there's a big it'd be uh, nice (laughs) wouldn't that be amazing i think there's a big genetic component and i think there's a big um socialization component but when i talk about socialization i mean socialization with mother and litter mates um that that's at play that we don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have the power to effect um except to to give your puppy the the biggest opportunity to learn from their their litter mates and their mom about what's appropriate um tooth wise and they do learn pretty quickly yeah 
Yeah, they do. Yeah, I've been I every time I watch my older dog with um, with Niffler, I just think like, gosh, I don't know if I'm ever going to willingly raise a puppy without having a nice puppy appropriate adult in the household. I mean, the amount of teaching um, Barley has been putting into Niffler is is amazing. Um, and I didn't expect him to sign up for that job. <laughs> well, and those dogs that are appropriate with puppies and teenagers and adolescents are um, in my opinion, they're worth their weight in gold, um, especially if you have one as a trainer. Um, and I did when I was working in the dog daycare. Epic, yeah. Epic is that dog. She's she's really good um, with young dogs, and she doesn't go right to the big high end corrections with other dogs. She speaks dog quite well, quite eloquently, I would say. Um, but uh, those <laughs> dogs, those dogs are amazing if you have them. So you're certainly very lucky to have one. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't expect to. I uh, I wrote multiple blog posts leading up to bringing Niffler home about how I was introducing my puppy to a dog who doesn't like puppies. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. I got lucky. You did. Um, Enjoy it. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, how can puppy owners kind of help? I, I think there's two different categories that people really struggle with, where it's there's kids and there's strangers. Um, so what strategies do you suggest to help um, owners work through, again, kids or strangers, instead of having kids or strangers undoing all of your training every time they interact with your puppy? Um, if you mean, like, specifically related to biting? Or in general? Yeah, yeah, specifically <laughs> related to nipping. Um, you know, I'm. Th this may not be a very popular opinion, but um, I think you have to be really careful. And maybe there are some situations in which your puppy does not interact with children or certain adults. And, and the reason mm -hmm. I say that is um, children have, I mean, especially depending on the age of the children, <laughs> um, they're small, they're unpredictable, mm -hmm. they have delicate skin. Um, you know, a wild child like Saga um, was really only around children um, in very controlled circumstances, and the children were not involved in her training um, whatsoever. Um, with adults, I find it equally challenging, um, pretty much, um, and I, <laughs> it's almost still the case, but Saga, you know, she's out loose around adults that understand dog training and that I know um, if I ask them to do something to help me with her, that they're going to listen. They're not going to say, well, I saw on TV that when your dog does this, you know, you just <laughs> X, Y, Z. It's usually never something that you want. So adults that you yeah. trust. Um, what I did um, with Saga is I actually taught her, it, it sounds weird, but I actually taught her a hand touch. <clears throat> And for some reason, she was not biting with a hand touch. So I would have children or adults if we were out and I felt it was a really good controlled situation. I'd say, you know, just put out your hand. She's going to come say hi by touching your hand. And then she'd come back to me for her um, for her reward. So I, I kind of used children and adults as props, but I didn't necessarily involve them in what I was doing or setting up the situation, if that makes sense. Just because... Um, 
people can be so unpredictable. Kayla, I'm sure you've experienced yeah. this. That <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't, you know, a few trainer friends, a few friends with children that I know, you know, if I ask them to stand there and put their hand out that they will, and they're not, you know, big screamers or, you know, um, you know, I mean, they are, but in context, I can, I can sort of um, trust that they'll behave as, as I ask them to, to help me out. And that's how I usually phrase it is I need some help. I need to teach Saga, you know, instead of biting that she needs to come and touch a hand with her nose. Um, and that's usually how I work around it. But um, if I'm around, you know, in a public situation on a walk um, out on the street, I'm not asking anybody to help me because I don't know them and I don't know what they're going to do to my puppy if she misbehaves in some way. And I don't want her to injure anybody either with her exuberance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially with kids. Yeah. Um, and when we have teenage dogs that may look like adults, um, but but don't have adult brains yet. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, the other thing for me, very much, and maybe this this is why um, I may have a different response than other people is I have Rottweilers, and you know, if anything happens between a child and a Rottweiler um, in today's society the Rottweiler is almost always going to get the blame whether they were at fault or not. So I really um, take the responsibility mm -hmm. seriously of making sure that people only have positive experiences with my dogs. And, you know, if you had um, a Chihuahua, you might have other concerns, right? Because people just see a small dog and assume they can, you know, pick them up and move them around and do that kind of thing. You might have different concerns, <laughs> but you don't have you don't have the same sense of responsibility to your breed <laughs> that if your dog misbehaves, um, it might put other people's ability to own that type of breed at risk. Um, so that, that's, that may be where I come at things a little bit differently from most people. Um, but I would give, I would honestly, I would give everybody that advice, you know, protect your dog. Um, yeah. And, and only get help from, from people that, you know, I don't really rely on strangers very much for help fortunately or unfortunately i don't know yeah yeah that certainly makes sense yeah yeah it would be it would be nice if we lived in a, a dog savvy polite society where we could have strangers help train our dogs but um that is pretty far from the reality i feel like i live in yeah yeah and you know i'm i consider myself very lucky because i know lots of very dog savvy people um so you know they may be a stranger to saga but they're not a stranger to me so i can say okay this is what she's probably going to do this is what i need your help with um but we don't all have that and we don't always have that for sure um i do a lot of my training on my own um and we do lots of hiking where we meet people out and about um but you know <clears throat> i have a dog that's you know, even though she's she was wild as a puppy that I can do off-leash hikes with and can meet other dogs and move on and isn't overly interested in other people because we put some time and effort into um, training some of those things. So, um, yeah, I wish, I wish things were a little more dog-savvy and dog-friendly, but it is possible to work through things with a puppy that is maybe bitey yeah. without that. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually think, you know, because this is the pandemic puppy podcast, you know, in most places where we are socially distancing, um, as we're out and about, um, I think that actually is helpful for this problem, because it makes it really easy to or a lot easier 
to avoid the person on the street who is just making a beeline for your puppy and is going to be like, I don't mind as your puppy is chewing on their arm or whatever. That person is probably Um, making a beeline for the other direction because we don't want to be near each other, even if we have puppies. Um, You know, mm -hmm. we're we're very conscious of keeping our distance from others. And you're right, that probably does help um, quite a bit with having a young dog, um, um, you know, wanting to meet everybody or people wanting to yeah, meet your puppy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah it um, I, I, helps you get through that really cute phase where your puppy is most tempting to strangers. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and helping teach your puppy to just politely walk past people yeah. and not launch, launch at their faces. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think our last question as we're um, winding down here is what commonly suggested strategies have you heard that you recommend people stay away from? Um, I know there there, there are a lot of things that we have intentionally not mentioned on this podcast as far as how to deal with puppy nipping. Yes, there's so many things that um, I discourage. The least offense, I'll go with the least offensive first. Um, It used to be when I first started training dogs that if a dog nipped you, you would go, ow, and you would walk away. And I don't think that necessarily works with a dog like Saga because I'm going to go, ow, and she's going to go, oh, it's really on. That that arouses her even more. And I can't walk away because she's attached to my leg. So I think... um, (laughs) for a dog like saga that increases arousal they bite harder you've kind of done the opposite of what you hoped to i think sometimes people really went overboard with the ow and actually scared puppies um that weren't expecting it so you know Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily know that it's um that effective now walking away you know, if absolutely I use the strategy, I talked about the strategy of when I do my toy play and trade that I'll stop moving so that, you know, the that movement doesn't mm-hmm. add to arousal. But I don't know that the, the squealing or the yelping um, necessarily helps. I see it amongst dogs and it certainly does. But with, again, with a certain kind of dog, I don't think it's going to be incredibly helpful. Um, and if you don't know that dog, you're not going to know until you try it what's going on. Um I've heard of people scruffing puppies when they're biting. That's grabbing them by the back of the neck and shaking them. Um, That just seems unfair to me because most of the time, um, my experience, puppies that are real bitey, they're just trying to interact with you. Um, And I know we Mm -hmm. get frustrated with that Um, sometimes when it's Friday night and we just want to sit down and binge watch, I don't know, Schitt's Creek and our dog is attached to our leg. But um, I just I don't think it's it's really helpful. And again, with with a certain kind of puppy, you could really be terrifying the crap out of that poor little puppy. Um, I've heard of people doing, uh, you know, rolling the puppy on their back, ear pinching. Um, I just, I don't think they're helpful because all they do is teach a puppy to stop the behavior, which, I mean, yes, we want, we do want them to stop the behavior, but it doesn't necessarily teach them what we want them to do instead. And it doesn't help them learn to manage their arousal. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, 
you know, I always tell people sometimes we react in the moment, you know, sometimes when your puppy gets you right in the back of like that soft spot right in the back of your knee, um, <laughs> you know, and, and you're not expecting it yet. You you might go, oh, my God. And you might yell, um, you know, like cut yourself some slack when those kinds of things happen. But when you're doing purposeful training or interaction with your puppy, I don't think that's necessarily um very helpful and I don't think that will get you any quicker to a puppy that has some bite inhibition truly in the end you know yeah I would agree um yeah yeah it I mean and it circles back to what we talked about in the first half of the podcast where you know if our puppies are biting because they're tired um, and they need help kind of learning how to downregulate, punishing them or, you know, physically stopping them from biting. You know, I, he- I hear a lot of like clamping your puppy's mouth closed with oh, your hand. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, that doesn't help in the long term get the puppy what the puppy actually needs. No. And again, yeah, I, I'm glad that, you know, you've said that it's okay. We know that like sometimes it hurts and you do something in a moment of frustration or pain. Um, but to actually have your, your actual training plan is much more based on confinement and pacifiers and having a toy at the ready if need yeah. be, um, you know, making sure your puppy's getting enough sleep. Yeah. And if we, and again, what you're talking about is we're looking at the function of the behavior. Why is the puppy behaving this way? And what can yeah. I do to address the why instead of sort of we're looking at symptoms instead Mm -hmm. of um, causes. And I think, yeah, absolutely, that management and addressing the why is going to help us a lot more long-term than um, sort of playing whack-a-mole with the symptoms, um, either, you know, uh, actually or, or, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, what's the word? I can't think of the word right now, but um, figuratively why did that word not come to me yet figuratively or actually Mm -hmm. um we're just dealing with symptoms we're not dealing with the actual causes and and i i don't think um i don't think most puppies come out of the womb or come home with you with uh you know i'm just gonna bite nonstop 24 7 i mean some certainly do if you've ever met a working malinois puppy they love to bite um but these strategies mm-hmm. can work even with those puppies because what they love the most is to bite. So if we can teach them some some positive strategies for that allow them to do that, um, then it it's uh, it's certainly helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have anything that you want to add as we're wrapping up here? Anything we didn't get to that you want to make sure you mention? Uh, um. No, the only other thing I say no, and then I have a thing um, that I really we did talk <laughs> briefly about confinement, and I think we we need to think about confinement as part of our routine as well. So if you know, um, I don't know, your children are coming home at three thirty. And that's typically a time when your puppy gets really bitey because it's really stimulating in your house with, you know, three or four kids coming in the door or even one um, coming in the door and that creates bitiness that um, (laughs) you can do preemptive confinement if you know things are just going to be a bit wild and you need to, you know, get something done, get kids in the door, get company in the door. I still do that with my adult dogs. (laughs) You know, they go behind a baby gate um, when people come in because that's a high arousal super exciting and my dogs are very social um Mm. once people are invited in because they're rottweilers let's face it um stranger danger is a real thing for them um but 
um, you know, using confinement to your advantage, um, I think can be really helpful with, with bitey puppies. Um, so that was in my, my notes about confinement. Um, that's really it. But yeah, I think, you know, I think with puppies structure, you know, and I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you have a podcast out or coming out about that because, um, it's so important with puppies, just like it is with babies. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. But I, I do find that structure in the schedule. Once you kind of get into that rhythm, gosh, it's helpful. And it, it yeah, it makes a big difference. All right. So we don't have any patron questions today. Um, but if you're interested in signing up to give us patron questions, make sure you do that over at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. Over the next couple episodes, we're covering things like health versus socialization with Dr. Jen from Dr. Jen's dog blog, um, puzzle toys and enrichment, and more. So, Ayoka, where can people find you online? People can find me online. Um, my website, which has the Rotten Dog blog, is uh, ayokabubar.com. That's A-Y-O-K-A. B-U-B-A-R dot com. I am on Instagram and Twitter at the OG Rotten Dog. T-H-E-O-G-R-O-T-T-E-N-D-O-G. And I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook mm-hmm. page, um, facebook.com slash ayoka.boobar. And you also cha- are one of the admins on the inclusivity and dog training um, group. I'm not. Do you want to give a quick shout out to that group here? <laughs> oh, I'm not. not. Oh my god, admin. you're just in it. I just and you- very active. <laughs> oh just- my gosh, I just thought you were an admin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good friends with all the admins. I'm super active in there. It's such an awesome, awesome, awesome group for sure. Um, for all people, certainly all people are welcome there. And I love, it's actually one of my very favorite Facebook groups, but I am not an admin. Maybe I should be. <laughs> I think it's a tough job. <laughs> yeah. A great group. That's actually where we, that's, I think it's definitely where you and I met. And it's also where we got our, um, our newest editor for the podcast, oh, awesome. which I'm really excited about. Yeah, so um, it's I'm, a really, really great group. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I love that group so much. Um, it's been a long time coming and we really needed it in our industry. So, um, uh, yeah, very active in there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, so thank you guys so much for listening. And Ayoka, thank you so much for coming on. This was um, so much fun. And I, I, I know I learned a lot. So I hope that everyone else did as well. Um, as you guys are signing off and powering down your podcast apps, make sure you subscribe, review, um, all of that great stuff. That's going to be really, really helpful to keep this podcast up and running. You can always sign up for the Puppy Raising Blueprint course at journeydogtraining.com and join the free pandemic puppy raising support group over on Facebook. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll be in your earbuds next week. Bye.